please, to uh, Matthew chapter 7. So they checked it out and they said, uh, sure enough, uh, uh, you got a bad horn there and uh, we can replace it. We'll have to order it in. It'll cost $120, but there's no labor charge. And uh, I thought, well, thanks for doing me a favor, you know. <laughs> so I, uh, I called my friend who's uh, part owner in an auto parts store and I said, Hey, uh, what, what would it cost me to get a horn on this thing? Do, would you have one? I, the the low-tone horn on this thing is bad. He, he looks it up. He says, ah, it might be a dealer-only thing. And he says, uh, nope. Sure enough, it says we, st- we stock those. And uh, we've got one in the store, in fact. He said, it might be a little generic, but it should do the job. I said, how much? He said, 10 bucks. I said, <laughs> it'll do the job. <laughs> So I went and got the horn and, uh, and uh, opened the hood right up there in the auto parts store parking lot, got my redneck ticket punched, and, and fixed that thing right there. And, uh, you know, we had to fit a little bit, put a little jumper wire, and, but, uh, boy, the horn is back to full strength. It wasn't the same as the genuine part, but it worked. Okay. As we come down toward the end of the Sermon on the Mountain, Jesus is going to tell us real clearly... There is no generic substitute for genuine Christianity. There is no generic substitute for getting into heaven. There's only one way, and it's a narrow way, and you need to be very careful about that way because there are people actively teaching things that will keep you out. As well as, today we come to the passage that that really challenges us to make sure we are not self deluded. Matthew 7, starting in verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's a scary passage because Jesus says it's possible for people to be self deluded to be fooled about their relationship to him and so we want to understand today what does it mean to be a genuine christian what is genuine christianity and the first thing that jesus tells us is genuine relationship to him goes beyond acquaintance and activity i had dinner 
with the man who is now the ambassador of China when he was running for his first public office. I had dinner with the man who headed up one of the federal departments, I don't know which one it is, when he was running for his first office in King County. I am acquainted with the ambassador to China. But I don't know him. Jesus says there are a lot of people who are acquainted with him. The people Jesus is talking about here show up in heaven, show up in eternity, I should say, and they say, Lord, they clearly expect to make it. They have an acquaintance with Jesus. They say, Lord, Lord. The word Lord here is the, is the proper term when we say Lord Jesus Christ. Those are, uh, if you will, the name Jesus would be closest to his name, but the term Christ and the term Lord are titles. To be Lord means to be master of the universe. To be the Christ means to be the, the prophesied one, the deliverer of, of God's people. To be Jesus, the word means to be the Savior. They call him by his proper title, Lord, and you would think that they know him, but what is really going on is is similar to what we read here in Second in Timothy, and I've compressed uh, several of these verses. Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will have a form of godliness, but deny its power. In other words, these are not irreligious people. They are not what we typically would call pagan These are people who look like Christians. They know Jesus well enough to call him Lord. They have a form of godliness. In Titus, Paul put it this way, they profess to know God, but in works or in their life, they deny him. If you said, do you know who Jesus is? They say, of course I know who Jesus is. Are you a follower of Christ? Of course I'm a follower of Christ. According to a Pew Forum, I know it's really ironic that the Pew Forum does research on Christianity. The Pew Forum, those of you that are old enough to remember that word for a chair in a church. According to a Pew Forum, in 2007, now obviously it's not the latest statistic, in 2007, over 75% of Americans claim to be Christians. 24% of, yeah, got a couple of people's attention. Uh, 24% out of that figure are Roman Catholic. 51% are Protestant, or let's just use the word non-Catholic. 75% of the people in this country claim to be Christians. As you go to the Hagen store, as you drive down the freeway, as you go to your job, do you look around and think, my, 75% of these folks are believers in Jesus, disciples following him. But all of them would show up in heaven and say, Lord! Look what Jesus says these folks do. It's not just a matter of having an acquaintance, but, but they actually do religious work. And he lists these three things. First of all, he says they prophesy, or they said, we have prophesied in your name. The word prophecy 
in the Bible is used two different ways, and the word prophesy is used two different ways. It's often used to mean foretelling something in the future, like like the prophet Daniel had a vision of things that were going to happen way into the future past his time. But part of his exhortation was also for the people at that time. You know, and so the broad definition here is declaring God's truth. They said, hey, we have prophesied in your name. We have said something that sounds like God's truth. Let's just be as broad as we can. We have cast out demons. Wow. We've done exorcism in your name. Now, Jesus doesn't call into question whether they have actually done these things. He does call into question whether they are genuine believers. But they said, we cast out demons in your name. We have done wonders. That's a... That's a King James word for for miracles. We've done miracles. And so we look at that, we look at that a little bit like this story from John when the blind man was healed and the the Pharisees were saying to this blind man, they they hated Jesus, so they're trying to get him to say this is of the devil or that type of thing or this man doesn't know God. And here's his response. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And so when we see people who say, Lord, and they cast out demons, we say, surely they are Christians. Surely they are genuine disciples. Jesus says, no, that is not the definition of true discipleship. What we have to remember is these words of Jesus. There are false Christs. There will be false Christs and false prophets who will show great signs. That's also another word for miracle, a sign and wonder to deceive, if possible, even the very chosen ones of God. So if there are religious folks doing miracles, true miracles, you know, there's a lot of, you know, pretending to do miracles today. There's no doubt about that. But if something actually is happening, it is possible that it is not from the power of God, but from the power of Satan. At any rate, Jesus doesn't use miracles or miraculous happening to define Christianity. And I think it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize in much of what's televised on TV, there seems to be this correlation If there is a miracle, that is the real thing. Jesus says, no. The miracle is not the definition of the real thing. The acquaintance, the ability to say the words, is not the definition of the real thing. The people who know who Jesus is talking about know him well enough to call him by his title and to expect to show up in heaven. Yet what he says, look at it there, In verse 22, many, many will say to me in that day, Lord, don't we know you? Haven't we served you? And what will he say in verse 23? I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practiced lawlessness. And when he says depart from me, do you know what that means, don't you? That means go to hell. That's his final declaration on them. That's their final judgment. 
There will be people who show up in eternity and expect to be admitted to heaven, and Jesus will say, no, I don't know who you are. Now, that's a scary thing. But fortunately, Jesus says, I want to tell you what it means to be a genuine disciple. You see, because what he also says here, while he says many will, this will happen to, verse 21 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. In other words, there will be people saying, Lord, I'm coming to heaven, and he's going to say, come right on in, here's your place. But not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. And so what we understand here is, Genuine relationship to Christ does begin with knowledge. You do have to know Jesus. Salvation requires knowing God's truth. Romans 10, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. In other words, it doesn't matter who you are, the same Lord is over all and rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. However, or how then, shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? How shall they believe if they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Clearly, and I know this is a simple truth, but it bears speaking, and you'll see why here in a minute. Salvation requires the knowledge of Christ. In our effort to witness, in our effort to evangelize, we need to be teachers about who Jesus was and who we are. In John, it's, it's, it goes like this. Jesus, this is John's summary of why he wrote the Gospel of John. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, which tells you that the Gospels are a summary of the life of Christ. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. These are written. The Word of God is given to us that you may believe. The salvation comes by the knowledge of Christ. You cannot believe on a Savior who you do not know. You cannot believe on a Savior who you do not know. A number of years ago, there was a man who I witnessed to, and he basically said this when I got done witnessing to him. He said, I'm looking into it, and I'm going to try to know what, I'm try to learn about Jesus and see if, if he's dependable, essentially. And he looked into it for several years, and he became a believer in Christ. You cannot believe on a Savior whom you do not know. Now, some of us, like myself, grew up with parents that believed in Christ. My dad was a pastor. He declared these truths. Uh, I went to Sunday school. I mean, I was in church from the time my mother could get out to carry me there. You know, two weeks after I was born, I was there, and uh, I've been there ever since. If I was getting those cross and crown pins, I wouldn't be able to walk. They'd be so long. (laughs) Except Charlotte would have more. I'd beat you, Marion, but, but not her. <laughs> and that's a great privilege to grow up where, where, where the existence of God is, is not just assumed, but, but believed in and relied on. And, and I have never doubted the existence of God or of Jesus. I've heard the same truth all of my life. And uh, I'm thankful that my kids grew up in that. That's a wonderful heritage. But not everybody has that privilege. And increasingly in our country, 
People do not grow up with that knowledge. And so we can't go to them and say, just believe in Jesus. They're going, who? We have to be teachers about Jesus. We have to do what Jesus did. You know, he, he, he died, was buried, resurrected. He, he showed himself to various people. And, and at one point, he's, there were two guys walking down the road. They, they were followers of Jesus, but they, they became disappointed when he was buried and somehow they didn't grasp the whole resurrection thing. And so Jesus comes right along beside of them. And, and here's what, what happened. The, you know, they were saying, we, we hope just Jesus was going to be the Christ. And they were all discouraged. And he said, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses and the prophets... He expounded to them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. What a Bible lesson that must have been. But he didn't come to them and say, just believe. Take the leap of faith. If I was younger, I would demonstrate that. Only doctor in the house is a veterinarian. I don't want him picking me up. Because they shoot horses. But I think us, us who are believers and especially have been around for a long time, we're just frustrated with people at not being willing or able to believe in Christ. And we don't realize Jesus himself had to teach the scripture to these guys. And then they went, oh, later on the story says, didn't our heart burn within us while we were walking on the way? And, and they became strong disciples. And we have to be teachers of Jesus we should not be surprised or discouraged when people don't, don't get it, don't understand. We should, we should expect that. Do you want to be a follower of Christ? Maybe you're here today and you say, I don't believe in Christ. I don't fully understand. We would love to teach you about Christ. You know, in the end, the miracle of salvation, the thing that, I, that, that, that I, I'm so thrilled about is all I have to do is teach you who Christ is. He'll convict you that you ought to believe. I don't have to twist your arm. And we would love to share the story of Christ with you and God's story of you and help you come to an understanding. Salvation, genuine relationship to Christ, begins with knowledge, but it doesn't stop there. Genuine relationship with Christ requires a decision of faith. And this familiar verse talks about it for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him... He doesn't say whoever knows about Jesus is going to heaven. He doesn't say whoever knows Jesus just well enough to say, hey, that's Jesus. He says whoever has believed in him, those are the ones that are on their way to heaven. Paul elaborates a little bit more on this concept of, of faith in the, in the beginning of the passage we just read a minute ago. What does it say? The word is near you, the knowledge is in your mouth and in your heart that is the word of faith which we preach. That if you will confess with your mouth, and the word confess means to agree. If you will agree with your mouth with God, agree with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, 
with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Now, I want to just make, be as clear as I can right here. I don't believe salvation is a two-step process, or a three, or a four, or a five. I believe what God is trying to tell us here is there's a, there's a certain simultaneousness to what happens at salvation. You believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. What Jesus is really focusing on here, and what I'm going to focus on, is this. If there is no confession with the mouth, if there is an unwillingness to claim Christ as Savior, there's something wrong with the belief in the heart. A decision of faith, a decision of faith is based on truth like this. You are a sinner indebted to God for your sin. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, don't do this, and if you do it, you will die spiritually and physically. They did it, and from that moment, they owed him. They owed him a debt of eternal punishment. But God put their sin on hold by killing an animal, by sacrificing an animal, and clothing them with the skin of that animal. You are a sinner indebted to God. Until you see yourself as a sinner who is on his way or her way to hell, a sinner who cannot correct the difficulties of their own life, but somebody who needs God, you're not going to want to believe. You know, if, if, you, if you can make your life work and if you've got confidence about eternity then you should quit wasting your time in church. But if in your heart you know that some things aren't right, and if in your heart the Holy Spirit is going, buddy, you're not ready for eternity. Sister, you're not ready to meet Jesus. You are a sinner indebted to God for your sin. Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man and thus able to offer a perfect payment for sin. God laid his wrath for your sin on Christ. One of the, last week I talked about how people are wanting to take away from the scripture. And one of the things they want to take away is God's wrath about sin. They said if God is wrathful towards sin, and if he poured out his wrath on Jesus, then that is divine child abuse. That's a quote. Friends, it is not divine child abuse. It is divine grace and mercy. It's the mercy of Christ who said, I know I don't deserve this, but I will go on the cross and take it for those poor sinners. And it's merciful of God to say, I don't want to put my son through this, but I will for those poor sinners. Jesus was fully God and fully man, able to offer a payment. God laid his wrath for your sin onto Christ. God will take away your sin and give you a new life in Christ if you believe these truths. There is no such thing as being born into a Christian, to being born a Christian because your parents were Christians. There's no such thing as being baptized into the body of Christ based on the faith of your parents. That, I have to believe that part of that doctrine was developed to make parents feel good. No parent wants to think there's any possibility of their small child going to hell. And I don't believe that God allows small children who are unable to believe to go to hell. There's some scriptural reasons for that. But getting them sprinkled 
or even dipping them all the way under as a baby does not change the fact that they are born in sin and someday will have to believe on the Jesus that they will learn about in our Sunday school. And they need to believe, and we need to believe. Being part of a so-called Christian nation does not make you a Christian. I suspect that some people in that 75% who go, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, part of what they're saying is, well, I'm not a pick one. I'm not a Muslim. I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not a Taoist. I'm not a you know, Hindu. I'm not a whatever. That's not enough, Jesus says. You cannot slide into the kingdom of heaven by hanging around the church. You know, I expect when the rapture comes to go, but if you're hanging on to my feet, you're not getting there. You know, I I mean, I, I do think sometimes people somehow, they want a generic substitute. They don't want to pay $120 for it. They want to pay $10. You cannot do good deeds and earn a spot in heaven because you are contaminated to begin with. When you do a so-called good deed for God, there is no goodness because you're a sinner. You must personally, personally come to the knowledge of the truth of, in God's word and decide to put your faith in Christ. Now, this is not some generic leap of faith into the unknown. Rather, God calls for an acceptance of the truth in the depths of your soul. This is a classic illustration, but it's just one of the best that I know of about where you're at spiritually. And it goes like this. You're sitting in one of these two chairs. You're trusting in one of these two things for your salvation. Either you're sitting in the chair of self or you could pencil in some other religion. But because it's not Christ, anything is over there. And, and frankly, we're all born sitting in this chair. And the question you have to ask is, have I ever got up and moved over? It's not enough to attend a church. It's not enough to be born in a Christian nation, to have Christian parents to read your Bible every day. That is not the question. Jesus says many people who have been sitting in this chair are going to show up in eternity saying, I'm ready. And he's going to say, I don't know who you are. There has to come a point. Now I understand, and I've I've certainly talked to a few people who can say, I'm not sure when that point was in my life. But the question you need to answer today is, are you sitting in this chair or are you sitting in this chair trusting in Christ and the work that he did on the cross? Have you made that decision? Is this where your commitment is? Now, what Jesus is going to go on to say is there is a way to know if you've done that. And that's the big point that he's making in in Matthew chapter 7. He said, here is the big point. Genuine relationship to Christ relate results in obedience to God. And he states this positively and he states it negatively. Look at verse 21. Here's the positive statement. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, they just claim to know me. The ones who does the will of the Father in heaven. In verse 23 He states it negatively. He said, those who practice lawlessness, or I should have put it, those who don't practice lawlessness. 
In other words, Jesus said, when you jump from one chair to the other, you said, Jesus is the Savior, I am a sinner, I believe this, what should happen is a changed life. Genuine believers in Christ obey God's instructions in the Bible not to earn salvation, but because they have received it. Jesus put it like this in John 8, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. In other words, the true believer hears God's word and says, that's what I've got to do, and they set about doing it. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, If anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The question to ask would be, are you a changed person from before you accepted Christ? Are you a, and an even better question to ask, according to Philippians 3, is are you a changing person? Are you a growing person? The Apostle Paul himself, he said, I'm not where I want to be, which is exactly like Christ, but I'm not where I used to be, which was self-righteous. And so the, the question to ask is, am I a new creature? Am I growing in Christ? Paul put it this way in Timothy. Let everybody who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. It's not enough to know the name of Christ, but when you truly name it, you start walking in the Lord. James, the brother of Jesus, put it this way. Oh, foolish man, faith without works is dead. You can say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus. Let's look at the tone of your life. You don't even need to tell me if you believe in Jesus. I can look at your life after a period of time, you know, not in one minute or one day. Is there a tone of your life that shows the Lord? Is that word of God, is it part of your life? When I listen to you talk, is there, is there connection to the truth of God? Is there reference to the word of God? Are the priorities of God the priorities of your life? None of us are perfect. None of us are living this out with absolute perfection. But where's your life headed? What path is it walking on? True faith in Christ results in a life of obedience. Now let me make this real simple. Let me just be as simple and practical as I can. First of all, the obedience of baptism. Now, what do you mean by that, Pastor Dave? What I mean by that is what Jesus himself said. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You make a disciple, and then you baptize him. The word disciple means to be a follower of Christ. And so you, you preach the gospel and people believe. And you say, have you believed in Christ? Yes. Is he your Lord? Are you intending to follow him with your life? Yes. Then he said, get in here. And if you don't know, that's where the baptistry is. Because we don't open that curtain enough. And get baptized. Go under that water to show the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and your connection to him. Say, so, well, I, I, let's talk about that. You know, I was sprinkled when I was a baby. Show me that. Show me that in the Bible. I was this. I was that. I, you know, I, I don't want to be a fanatic, Dave. You know, in foreign countries uh, where the majority of religion is something other than Christianity, which is everywhere except here. 
they don't mind too much if you believe in Jesus. You say, I'm a follower of Jesus. You know, in some countries, in fact, the way they approach it is this. You know, uh, here, here's a series of gods that they worship. And you say, put Jesus on that shelf. Yeah, great. But the follower of Jesus takes the other gods off when he gets baptized, and that's when the persecution starts. Even here in this very county, perhaps not so much now, I don't know, but 35 years ago when I was a pastor over at Everson, we, we, I'll just put it in my anecdotal observation, it seemed like there were people leaving some churches that were sort of dead when the, when the Lord worked in them and they wanted to be spiritually alive, they were coming to our church. But in their church, they'd been sprinkled as a baby. And they needed to be baptized, not only to be a member of the church, but to follow Jesus' command. And so they would come to the baptism class and say, yes, I'm going to be baptized. And the day of the baptism would come. they go, no. Why not? My family's pushing back. My family, who's all members of a Christian church, are pushing back. Okay. A few months later, they get their courage up, they get baptized. What is it about baptism that people fight? I don't know. I think it's the devil pushing back because Jesus said, Are you a real disciple? Then get baptized. If you claim to be a follower of Christ... You need to be a follower of Christ. These are His very words. And if you won't follow that act of obedience, there's nothing else you can do to make up for that. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if you are unwilling to be baptized, what you think is your faith in Christ may not be complete. Because maybe, just maybe, You're trying to sit like this. Trying to please everybody and kind of get one foot in the door. Take the jump. Make the move. Sell yourself out to Christ. It goes way beyond baptism, of course, and I've just summarized it here. I could have put a list of things. I could have done all kinds of stuff from the Scripture, but the obedience of a growing Christ-like life. And, and one of the passages that I just have a real love for right now is Second Peter, which talks about the process of growth. And what you'll see at the end of this passage is it connects back to this very doctrine Jesus is talking about. For this very reason, giving all diligence, what, what reason? For the reason that God has given us all things that we need for life and godliness. For that reason, give diligence Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and are growing, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. He's spiritually blind. He has forgotten that he was cleansed from his sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. That's, that's a, a, a synonym for saying make your salvation sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and an entrance will be supplied to you, uh, for you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom. Now, he's not teaching us to work for our salvation, but what he's saying is if you're really a believer in Christ, this process 
process should be in motion. Your growth in Christ is the demonstration of the reality of your salvation. Those who live in sin demonstrate that they have never believed in Christ. Because if they had believed, their life would have been changed. I love this passage that talks about the change in people. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? If you are still in your sin, when you enter eternity, you will not go to heaven. The only way to have your sin removed is to believe in Christ. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And is God trying to give us an exhaustive list of the sins that will keep you out of heaven? No, he's given an example list. You can see different example lists, you know, like in the book of Revelation. And such were some of you. They had some bad people in their church who became good when Jesus washed away their sins. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. You were made righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There is no such thing as a sin that cannot be forgiven. There is no sinner which cannot be saved. But if you live in sin, you are not a child of God. You might hang out here a lot, you might talk about the Lord, but Jesus will say someday, depart from me. That's why God says this, examine yourselves. He doesn't tell me to examine you. He doesn't tell you to examine me. He says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? I took my mom to the airport on Tuesday evening for the red-eye flight to Cleveland where my sister lives. And uh, she, had, she needed to be at the airport at like 9 o'clock. And I thought, well, you know, I, I'll just stay overnight with some friends and then I can go to camp and uh, visit our, our workers and our staff at camp and had a couple other things to do. And so, uh, you know, my friend said, sure, come on. And uh, so I'm, I, I left there and went to Linwood and uh, made a stop there. Went out to Woodville and made a stop there. And I was on my way to camp coming from the north side, the usual path, the way the GPS always tells me to go. And I turned, and it went road closed. Stupid GPS. <laughs> Actually, I didn't have the GPS on. It probably didn't knew the road was closed. So I thought, well, it's no problem. I know I can turn around and go back, and I can go over here and there and there, and I'll get to camp by another path. And I did. And a lot of people think that's the way it's going to be going to heaven. I'm going to go this way, and if that doesn't work out, I'll try it this way, and then I'll go that way and that way, and I will get there somehow, some way. There's only one way. There's only one road. Jesus said it's the entrance onto that road is narrow. And he said, be careful. Be careful that you don't walk by. Heavenly Father, 
it does not delight me to think that many people will not be in heaven. Please make your word crystal clear today so that if there's anybody here who's not on the narrow road, they haven't entered that narrow gate of faith in Christ, help them to understand that truth today and to believe. Father, help us to be faithful preachers of your truth. It is not popular today in this so-called Christian country to proclaim the narrow way. Give us your courage. Give us your way of speaking. Give us your way of living so that we might direct a few more people into the narrow way. I pray in Christ's name, amen.